Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Wholesome Words. I'm Pastor Josh, and as always, it's a joy and privilege to open up God's Word and look at some matters to consider, to, as I always say, probe and provoke our thinking, that we would, uh, throughout our days, throughout our weeks, be able to meditate upon God's Word. And these Weekly Wholesome Words are a form of, of supplementing that very thing and, and being some being of some help for you. Today, I want to look at uh, the issue of the eyes of our understanding. This is an important thing, and it's uh, it goes hand in hand. That expression, the eyes of our understanding, goes hand in hand with the hope that God has given us. And our hope that we have is there's just so many different components. There's just so many different aspects to our hope that not only make it up, but are designed, those aspects of our hope are designed to effectually work specific things in our own mind and heart and our own life. Paul utilizes that expression, the eyes of our understanding in the book of Ephesians. However, it's not the first time that he brings it up as far as a concept. That's one of the things as you study God's word in the sense and sequence it's given that God will come along and uh, teach it in its different aspects and then he'll come along and provide an expression for it. In other words, when Paul utilizes that expression in Ephesians chapter 1, the eyes of our understanding, when you ask the question, well, what does that mean? The answer to what does it mean to have the eyes of our understanding, though the answer to that is found in the previous epistles, the 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 uh, pr- the prior epistles to the book of Ephesians, Romans through Galatians, and that's what I want to look at today. Paul utilizes that expression in Ephesians chapter one when he begins to pray for the saints at Ephesus. Notice what he says here in verse fifteen. Paul writes, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And that expression is sitting in the beginning of verse 18. When he says, the eyes of your understanding, notice what he goes on to say. He says, being enlightened and that expression is coming along and identifying that there are some things that were previously taught to these saints at Ephesus that actually in the first place enlightened their eyes of their understanding 
when he's praying for them, in verse 17, he says that the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. This, this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him is what the book of Ephesians is going to provide for. But notice he says that this giving of this spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, he says the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. In other words, one of the prerequisites of, of gaining the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that's the father of glory, by the way, you have to have your the eyes of your understanding enlightened in the first place. What Paul's stating as that right here in verse 18 is that the saints at Ephesus, their eyes of their understanding being enlightened, they've already received some enlightened enlightenment. They've already uh, been um, given the, the, some light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, come with me real quick and look at that in Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he says in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. A very uh, parallel verse here, and the overall context also teaches you that. But he brings up the issue of light here. And he says to give the light. What you're getting in Ephesians is he's giving more light, as it were. In fact, come to Ephesians again and look at chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and he says in verse 8, he says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And he describes how that's going to take place. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto God, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, and so on. Look at verse 13. But all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You see the issue of light is is going to come up in Ephesians. But back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he also gave some light and it shined in our hearts. And therefore, it's appropriate for Paul to come along and say the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And there's some things actually that Paul's going to go on to say. Uh, in fact, turn back turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at this glory issue, the father of glory. And, and, and to give the spirit of wisdom and re of revelation and the knowledge of him. And, and look at what he says here in verse 16 of, of chapter, I'm sorry, verse 15 of chapter 4. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Which, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, which we look not. There we go. Look not. Well, how do you look? You look with your eyes. But look what he says. 
verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's why he calls it the, the eyes of your understanding. Because what we're looking at is not the things which we see, but the things which are not seen. In fact, that's why he comes along and he explains it's a knowledge. And the knowledge is in regards to our hope that we cannot see, but yet we learn about it. And we not only learn that it's future, but he gives us knowledge of it, of things that are going to take place yet to come. It says, but the things that are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in talking about this and all, and just prefacing the things that we're going to look at, and I, I know I'm not necessarily making all the connections right now, but bringing up a passage that, like Second Corinthians chapter 4, that talks about looking and talks about seeing and talks about the glory of God and the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that has shined in our hearts. And all that goes into this one expression of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And so what he's going to give in this epistle is not what he set forth in Romans through Galatians, but he's building upon what is set forth in Romans through Galatians. And that sets everything up for you in regards to what he wants us to know. There's three specific things that you may know, verse 18 of Ephesians 1, what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of, of his inheritance excuse me, of his inheritance in the saints and what is the seeing greatness of his power. In fact, when you look at all that, Paul has talked about a calling before in Romans through Galatians. But the hope of his calling is what's going to be further described. And Paul's talked about the inheritance before. He's talked about even about the glory of his inheritance before. But now he wants to know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Paul's talked about, our Heavenly Father has taught us through Paul, what is the, what is his power? What is his uh, power? He actually, he starts that off. In, in Romans chapter 1, he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. But here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20, uh, verse 19 and 20, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? To us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he's going to add to the resurrection from the dead and talk about and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And so this giving of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him is built upon the enlightening of the eyes of our understanding in the first place. And what I want to talk about is not necessarily the advanced or further enlightening or further giving of light regarding some knowledge of the hope of, the, of his calling and the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power. But I want to talk about where it all began, where it all started. Now, my understanding is that there's two, there's two parts to the initial giving of light two initial aspects of enlightening that is one in regards to justification and two in regards to sanctification i want you to show you this at least with the time that we have remaining come with me to galatians chapter three 
Galatians chapter 3. And start here in verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? When Paul came and presented the gospel to the Galatians, and not only when they responded positively to it by faith and faith alone, but when he began to teach that to them, verse 2 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, this only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And he wants to learn of them, he, of, of what they learned, what they came to understand. And he said that he evidently set forth Jesus Christ crucified among you. Now, the Galatians didn't witness the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though there might have been certain individuals that had. As far as a whole, they had not. What Paul's talking about here is before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth crucified among you, before whose eyes, the eyes of their understanding. But Galatians is not the first epistle in Paul's epistles. Therefore, what he's referencing is something that he's already taught them. When he writes the epistle to the Galatians here, it's to reprove them and correct them regarding what they should have come to see and understand. But the what Paul's talking about here is the initial aspect of the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. And that's the... The issue of justification. Come back with me to Romans. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And let's pick it up here in verse 21. In fact, before you do that, come all the way back with me to John. The, the, the Gospel of John chapter 20. And look at verse 24. Now this is after the Lord was crucified, buried, and resurrected, and some had seen him, but you had Thomas there. Look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my, so my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now notice what Jesus says to him. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. And then he gives a blessing. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now, that issue of believing, it's not that there's no seeing, but the seeing and the eyes that we see with are not of our physical eyes in regards to actually seeing him crucified and seeing that he rose again like back here that, that when it actually took place but seeing with the eyes of our understanding the evidence that Paul sets forth that he was crucified he was buried and he was resurrected and therefore the benefits of all that in regards to redemption can be had by those that believe come with me now to Romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3 and look at verse 
21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The eyes of our understanding are enlightened when God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which initially starts with the gospel of Christ and the information uh, right here. In fact, when you go back up to chapter in chapter 3 verse 19 and 20 look at verse 20 he says therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight in his sight but by the law but by the law is the knowledge of sin but what we begin to have produced here is the enlightening of our eyes that our eyes look at ourselves from his perspective but that's not through a physical eyes that's what the eyes of our understanding and they get opened they get enlightened here the redemption that is in christ jesus and our justification is not something that we feel it's not something that we physically see in fact our body our mortal body still has sin in it but we see it with the eyes of our understanding and and we believe it now that's all the time that we have today but next week, we'll look at the second part of when the eyes of our understanding were enlightened. And it has to do in regards to our walk. Not just our stand and understanding who we are in Christ and having our eyes enlightened in regards to our new identity into Christ. However, it has to do with the issue of we, not, we, walk, not by sight, we walk by faith, not by sight. And that gets underway in Romans chapter 8. If you want to take time before next week, look at Romans chapter 8 and see where he enlightens the eyes of our understanding that, that is basically having some understanding that, that helps us in regards to our walk. Well, we'll talk about this all more next week. Until then, look up. <laughs>